be in Mark 3 this morning, so you can turn there again in your Bible, um, and uh, looking forward to, to getting back into the Gospel of Mark in this passage specifically as we talk about the power of Christ, the power of Christ. Um, I do want to say just briefly, um, church family, thank you for, for last weekend. It was an incredible weekend. As we gathered on Good Friday, um, uh, it was a very special service as we remembered all that Christ has done for us, and then as we had the egg hunt on Saturday, it was just a, a true blessing to see how many people from our church uh, came out and volunteered in many different capacities, even to the uh, donating of candy, um, just a, a great blessing. And then uh, Sunday morning was an incredible blessing as well, and uh, I'm just thankful for our church family. Um, many of you had friends visit with you last week, um, and that's what we pray for, Right? that we would take the good news that we have received and that we would share it with those around us, uh, that, they would, that we would go and tell and they would come and see how good our God is. And I would encourage you, if you had a friend with you last week, encourage them to come back. One Sunday, um, though it's good to go to church for one Sunday, that's not the total of the Christian life, right? Uh, we're to gather as the people of God weekly, and I do pray um, that they would come back and they would grow with us if they're not saved, that they would trust Christ and that we could just continue to grow together as a church family. There are several on vacation this morning, traveling. Uh, be praying for them as they make their way back. I know uh, more are planning to go away in the coming weeks with school vacation coming up, um, but just thankful uh, for this church family, thankful to, to be able to pastor here. Um, just thankful. So um, before I cry too much, let's just get into Mark 3, because we could just go off on a rabbit trail, and we don't need to do that this morning. The power of Christ. Let's have a word of prayer again, and ask God's blessing on our time in the Word. God, we do thank you again for your kindness towards us. We thank you for your love. We thank you for the way that you displayed your love, God, in, in a way that was very costly to you. But truthfully, God, it was the only way that we could be redeemed back to you. We thank you for Jesus and the work that he did while he was on this earth. We thank you for his finished work on the cross as he died in the place of sinful men, to be the sacrifice for sins. God, we thank you for the work that he still does today as he intercedes on our behalf as the great high priest. And God, we thank you for the fact that one day he's coming again and that where he is, there we also will be. But God, while we're left on this earth, I, I do pray that our desire would be to be used, that, that our desire would be to proclaim the truth of your word, to proclaim the name of Jesus to a world who is lost and dying in their sinfulness. God, I pray that, that we would follow the commission that we looked at at the end of the sermon last week of going into all the world and preaching the gospel to every creature. And God, as we think about going, sometimes it's, it's a daunting task to think that we have to do this work through our own strength, but the truth is we don't do it through our own strength. But you go with us. And God, I pray that as you go with us, you would be glorified in the work that we accomplish. I pray for this sermon this morning, God, that it would work in our hearts as the Spirit sees fit. Certainly, I am not aware of every situation or heart-grieving issue that is weighing on people's hearts today, but God, you are. And I pray that as your word is proclaimed, it would meet people where they're at, and it would take them to the place where you desire for them to be. For those who don't know Christ, God, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. Be with the children's ministries downstairs. God, I pray that 
at this early age, these kids would understand these truths that are life-changing and that they would surrender, God, themselves to Jesus, that he, at this early age, would be the Lord of their lives, both now and for forever. God, we thank you for what you're doing in this place. May none of us ever seek to take credit for it because we know it's only a work that you can do. We ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen. As we jump back into the Gospel of Mark today, we're really taking a step backward from the last couple of weeks. With Easter being upon us, we had looked at the triumphal entry of Christ, we saw the trial and the crucifixion, and last week we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus, but now we go back to the beginning of Jesus' ministry. The passage before us today is rich as it speaks of the power that Christ has, and it's my prayer That as we consider the power of Christ, that it would excite us, that it would encourage us, and that it would equip us to follow him more passionately. If you're going to follow someone with your life, you want that someone to have great power. And friend, can I tell you today that there is nobody with a greater power than Jesus Christ. He displayed that power when he was on this earth. He displayed that power through his resurrection uh, from the dead. He's displaying that power now as he intercedes on our behalf as the great high priest. And friend, we look forward to the day when he displays that power again, when he comes and receives us back to himself. He's a powerful savior and he deserves to be followed. He deserves that we would give our lives to him and not just in an apathetic way where we quietly and somberly reflect on the power of Jesus, but in an exciting way, as we tell the world about our Savior who reigns. Christ's power, as we will see through the Gospel of Mark, is seen all throughout the Gospel narratives. We understand that through these writings that it is is unmatched, it is unparalleled, and it is unrivaled. There were people in Jesus' day who thought they had power to the point of putting Him to death. But didn't Jesus overcome their power as he rose again triumphantly? And so while people in this world often live with power, we see that Jesus' power was much greater than their power ever could be. The awesome thing about Christ, though, is that he always used his power in a calculated way. It was never to benefit himself. It was never to show off and, and draw a crowd just for the sake of drawing a crowd but it was always for the purpose of living out the will of his father. That the things that he did, the way that he ministered, the miracles that he performed were never just for in the moment, but they always had a greater meaning. They always had a greater purpose and they were never simply for himself. There's a great lesson here in understanding the power of Christ and it's one that we would do well to pay attention to. You see, many today, even in religious circles, use their power for personal gain. And in doing so, they are stating to the world that they are corrupt. Because understand, church, God has not given us our power or our authority or our ability simply for ourselves. But he's given us these things for the purpose of making his name known, of making his name great. And while some of these people may publicly profess that they're thankful to God, that he's given them the abilities that they have, we understand the true test of how they use their power is, is seen and how it's, it's impacting only their lives as they are truly their deepest interest. And so as we talk about the power of Christ today, I pray that 
we would also take a look at the power or authority that he has given us. Each of us has a circle of influence. Bruce and I were talking about that this week, that as more people come to Northside, there's a greater sphere of influence that the church is able to have. And I would ask us today, how are we stewarding that power or that authority or that influence that God has given to us in our lives on this earth? Are we using it strictly for us? Or are we using it for the glory of His name? I pray that we would use it for Him. For when we use it for Him, it will yield eternal reward. But when we use it simply for us, we understand that all the benefits will end when this life ends. And so Christ was a good steward of His authority. He was a good steward of His power. And since that is true, we must ask ourselves, are we good stewards of the authority or power that God has given us? The big idea this morning is this, as Christ used his power, it was with the purpose of pointing people to the truth of who he was and where he came from, for understanding this was the only thing that had the ability to change their lives. If all Christ did was come and heal and fix and correct what was broken in the 33 years that he was on this earth, then we understand that the world would still be lost and its hopelessness. But as we've said a couple times already, his greatest display of power was seen in his death, burial, and resurrection. And it is this demonstration of power that brings hope to the world as they turn to him by faith. And so this morning, I want to see just two things that hopefully will be a help to us as we think about the power of Christ back then, but also as we think about the power of Christ in our world today. First thing we see is in verses 7 through 12, and that's the display of Christ's power. The display of Christ's power. In verses 7 through 12, again, the Bible says, but Jesus withdrew himself with his disciples to the sea, and a great multitude from Galilee followed him from Judea, and from Jerusalem, and from... Uh, Edom. You know, I was sitting in my office this morning, and Olivia walked in, and I was listening on YouTube on how to pronounce certain words in this text. She said, you don't know how to pronounce those words? I said, do you? And she said, no. I said, well, we're in the same boat then, right? And you know what's interesting is I listened to the pronunciation of these words in the text. Everyone I listened to was different. So I may say it wrong today, but it may also be right. So we'll just work through them together. But I just had to stop and share that. And I'm just going to skip over that word. Um, <laughs> And from beyond Jordan, and they about Tyre and Sidon, and a great multitude, when they had heard what great things he did, came unto him. And he spake to his disciples that a small ship should wait on him because of the multitude, lest they should throng him. For he had healed many, insomuch that they pressed upon him for to touch him as many as had plagues. And unclean spirits, when they saw him, fell down before him and cried, saying, Thou art the Son of God. And he straightly charged them that they should not make him known. And so the display of Christ's power. I was uh, thinking through this passage this week, and truthfully, it is a rich text as we think about what is described for us here in Mark 3, 7 through 12. Jesus, in the end of Mark 2, had just finished healing the man, uh, or I'm sorry, in, in the beginning of Mark 3, had just begun, or finished healing the man with the withered hand, and the Herodians and the Pharisees were plotting on how they might kill him. It's interesting that as we saw that passage just before Easter, then we fast forward uh, to Easter. What did they think they had done? 
They had gotten rid of the problem. In their minds, in the end of Mark's gospel, they thought they had won, but we know that that wasn't the end. Jesus knew the hearts of these men. He, he knew that, that, that evil resided within them, that they wanted to destroy him. But Jesus also knew that in the end, he would be put to death, not because of the, the will of sinful men, but because of the will of a sovereign God. It was God's plan for Jesus to die, and it was God's plan for Jesus to rise again. And so in Mark 3, we see Jesus heals this man, and it drives uh, these religious people crazy. They couldn't handle it. They couldn't deal with it. And so as Jesus then leaves that situation, we see that he doesn't sneak away, for Mark reveals to us that as he leaves, a great crowd follows him. And they make their way to the sea, and as they get to the seaside, Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, okay guys, we need to be prepared for a crowd. We need to be prepared for masses of people to come to this place because of the works that I have done. Jesus reveals that he had healed many, he had forgiven many, he had touched many, and not only was it the people that came with legitimate physical illnesses that Jesus was concerned about, but Jesus was also concerned about those who had legitimate, uh, maybe, maybe demonic issues. Jesus says the crowd is going to be massive. The word that the King James uses is Jesus was concerned that the people would throng him. Now, we don't use that word throng in our day and age, so what does it mean? Well, it's the same word that is used for the purpose of crushing grapes. So as Jesus was gathered at the sea, he understood that the crowds of people were going to be so great that he's using this language to describe that the, the people would crush him because they were so excited over the things that he had done. They had seen lives changed. They were coming to see more of that, and Jesus knew this was going to take place. And so he gives the disciples some instructions. He says, I want you to prepare a boat, not for me to teach from, but I want you to prepare a boat for me to get in if the crowds are as bad as I think they're going to be. And so it's interesting in, in understanding all the power that Jesus had that he still subjected himself to normal means on this earth. He didn't say, I'm going to just magically disappear in this moment, but he used what was before him to do the things that needed to be done. But what has happened so far in the book of Mark that would have caused this concern on the behalf of Christ? Well, if you think back to the beginning of Mark's gospel, when Jesus was baptized, what was heard from, from heaven? The voice of God the Father saying, this is my beloved Son. And in that moment, a display of the power of God resting upon the person of Jesus Christ caused people to gasp in awe over the thing that was taking place before them. In fact, when John saw Jesus coming, what is it that he said? Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. As Mark's gospel continues, we understand that every time it seems that Jesus was speaking early on in the gospel of Mark, people were astonished at his authority in teaching. They were amazed at the display of God speaking to Christ at the baptism, but they were astonished when they saw and heard the things that Jesus was teaching in the public settings. We see that he then called men to follow him. And these men didn't, didn't casually say, well, think about it. But the Bible says that they dropped everything to come after him. Another display of the power of Christ. 
As Jesus continues in his ministry, in chapter 1, we see that he made his way to a synagogue and he healed a man with an unclean spirit. From there, he went to Peter's house and he healed Peter's mother-in-law who was sick with a fever. He healed crowds of people one evening that were gathered outside the place that he was staying. He healed a a leper. He healed a a lame man who his friends uh, lowered him down through the roof of a house. He ate and drank with sinners. He healed a man with a withered hand in chapter 3. And so the power of Christ had been on display for all to see. And because of his displayed power, Jesus knew in this moment the crowds were going to be great. You see, friend, we often think of Jesus living a neat and clean life when he was on this earth, but Jesus did not live a neat and clean life. Certainly, he didn't live with sin, but we also understand that he surrounded himself with sinful people. Why? So that he could display his power to them and point them to the reality that he was indeed the Savior of the world. You believe Jesus is the Savior today? that he alone has the power to save, that it's not through your effort, that it's not through your works, that it's not through your ability. Jesus alone has the power to save. And I pray today, if you're here and you have never trusted Christ, that today would be the day of your salvation. And so Jesus prepares his disciples. He says, get ready because the crowds are going to be great. They're coming to see me because of the things that I have done. And we need to be prepared for this. Jesus reveals to us that even in this moment, people were just wanting to touch his garment so that they could be healed. And isn't that what we see happen with the woman who had the issue of blood for 12 years? For 12 years, she struggled. For 12 years, she suffered. For for 12 years, she went through life not getting better after she'd spent all her money and time investing in her sickness. But the Bible says she actually grew worse. But in the moment she touched the hem of the garment of Jesus by faith, guess what? She was healed. So Christ's power is significant. Christ's power is impactful. It changes things. And Jesus was getting ready for another display of his power in this moment. It's also interesting that as Jesus talks about those who were coming to him with physical sicknesses, that he also talks about those who would be there with spiritual sicknesses. Now, truthfully, all who were there with physical sickness had spiritual sickness, right? They were lost in their sins. They needed to be saved. But there were some who were coming to Jesus on this day who were possessed with demons. And Jesus said that when these demon-possessed individuals come, they're going to bow at me and they're going to seek to worship me. And Jesus rebukes them and quiets them down because, first off, he didn't want their worship, right? Because they were worshiping in pretense, not in truth. Jesus would hush them. But just think of that crowd coming to Jesus on this day. People who were being carried by their friends. People who had withered hands. People who were limping along the way. People who possibly had leprosy and they were breaking the laws of the day to come and see the one who could heal them. The the people who were blind. The people who couldn't hear. And then the demon-possessed people. That's quite a crowd. And yet Jesus was prepared to meet them where they were to display the power that he had. You see, it's interesting for some of these people, though, that as they came to see the display of Christ's power, they were only interested in what it could get them in the moment. Remember, the, the, after the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus rebukes the crowd on another occasion because they were following him. And what does he say? 
You're only following me to get what you want from me. You're only following me because your bellies were filled and you want more than that. Friend, can I remind us today that every display of the power of Christ is not simply for momentary pleasure, but is to point people to eternal security in his name. Everything that Christ did on this earth was not simply to make a name for himself, but it was to promote this idea of giving glory to God, for God has power that that is unlike any other. The power of Christ is never displayed to simply leave men where they're at, but it's displayed to radically transform them spiritually. And as the disciples were following with Jesus on this day, no doubt their minds had been blown and no doubt their minds would be blown again. But isn't it interesting that even in the list of disciples that we are given later on in this text, that while 11 disciples are mentioned, we know that they continued on, there was one who didn't continue. Because even as those who were coming to Christ on this day, some of them came in pretense to get what they wanted in the moment, we understand that Judas had also in some ways stayed with Jesus to get what he wanted in the moment. He was a thief. He was corrupt. And yet he still saw the power of Christ and rejected the idea of who Christ was. And so, friend, I would ask us today, as we think about the power of Christ, why is it that we're following him? It's it's sad, but there's oftentimes people who will come to church for a short period of time to fix what's wrong in their lives, and then when things seem to get better, you slowly but surely see them disappear from the house of God. Why is that? It's because they've gotten what they wanted. They weren't coming to Jesus for what he was really offering them. They were coming to religion to get their lives straightened out so that they could be happier on this earth. Friend, Christ does make us happier on this earth. But the happiness that he gives us is not just for this moment, it's for eternity. So we can't just come to Jesus to get what we want in a physical physical sense we have to come in spirit and in truth believing that he is who he says he is believing in his eternal power that brings about salvation and then we're called to continue with him and as the first illustration is a ditch on one side of the road that people only come to jesus to get what they want i I would say there's a ditch on the other side of the road as well that there's people who are saved and then they start living outside of the power of christ So I know Christ is my Savior, but I've just got to struggle through life the best that I can. Friend, Christ didn't call us to struggle through life the best that we can. You realize today he called us to to thrive in the Christian life, to thrive in our trials, in our challenges, in our struggles. Why? Because we're trusting in the true resurrection power of Jesus. And though his power may not take away the ailment that we're facing in the moment, we can face that ailment with great joy because we know that his power is eternal. And so Christ's display of power was amazing. As he rehearses what he was going to do, no doubt the the minds of the disciples thought back to what he had already done, and they were blown away. I imagine them anticipating what it was going to be like when these crowds came, filled with excitement, filled with wonder. And then as Jesus began to do the things that Jesus did, I imagine in some way they just sat back with a grin on their face, thinking, this is the guy that we get to follow. Friend, do you understand today that in some regards, that's what our lives should look like as well? That we serve the master, but as he works, we just sit there simply blown away by the things that he has done. We're not about numbers at Northside. I I make that statement often. But do you know, last Sunday, 
I was just blown away at what Jesus did here. I was. I was blown away. It was, it was funny. Matt and I were talking pre-Easter about what the crowd would look like, and he had greater faith than I had. I'm thinking, man, I know people that are going to be away, probably, probably be about the same crowd as last year. And he's like, I've already got a plan to have people bring up chairs. And I'm like, wow, what great faith. You know, I, I should probably think like that as well, right? And guess what God did? He brought up more, had to bring up more chairs than we ever thought we needed. Why? Because that's the type of God our God is. But greater than that, friend, there was four people who raised their hand for salvation. Amen. And as great as a full house is on Easter Sunday, what's greater is that people are putting their faith and trust in the power of Christ to raise them from the dead spiritually so that they can be raised from the dead physically one day when he comes to take them home. Friend, our, our Savior is a powerful Savior. And every time he puts his power on display, it should cause us to stop and be in awe and be mesmerized. But we shouldn't stay in that moment. It should cause us to be excited to serve him even greater. Why? Because of the things that we've seen him do in the past. So I wonder today, are, are we in awe of the display of the power of Christ? Eddie came in the office this morning and we were talking about uh, somebody he's been praying for, we've been praying for to get saved. And I, I told Eddie this, if he can save me and he can save you, certainly he can save this guy as well. Why? Because the power of Christ is unrivaled. The power of Christ is unmatched. And all who put their faith in Christ will be saved. And so that leads me to a question this morning, and that question is simply this. Has your life been changed by the power of Christ? Maybe you come to church and you're thinking that your, your, your attendance in church is what's going to make you right with the Father. Friend, understand that attendance in, to church outside of being a child of God does nothing for you. Not spiritually speaking. It doesn't save you. It doesn't give you merit with God. It doesn't earn grace. Placing your faith in Christ alone is what saves. And if you're here today and you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, my plea to you would simply be this, to recognize the power of Christ that was displayed on resurrection morning and then apply that resurrection power to your life as you trust in Christ by faith. And if you do that, the Bible says that you will become a child of God. Friend, will you trust Christ today? Will you understand His resurrection power and the implications that it can have on your life? So the display of Christ's power. The second thing we see this morning is the dispersing of Christ's power. This second part is, is interesting. It's exciting. It's, it's something that we have to think through and work through. And as the scene took place on the sea, we're not really told in Mark's gospel all that happened there. Remember, Mark is very fast-paced. He goes from one scenario to the other with the purpose of pointing to the reality of who Jesus is. But in verses 13 through 19, we see that it wasn't just Christ who had power, but he then gave those who were following him power to do things that are mind-blowing, things that are fascinating, things that capture our attention, and they should. And so in verse 13, the Bible says, And he goeth, speaking of Jesus, up into a mountain after he was by the sea, and he calls unto him whom he would, and they came to him. And he ordained twelve, we know them as the twelve disciples, that they should be with him, and that he might send them forth to preach. And as he sent them forth to preach, he also, in verse 15, 
gave them power to heal sickness and to cast out devils. And Simon he named a surname Peter, and James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James, and, the, uh, he, and he surnamed them uh, Bonerges, which is the sons of thunder. And Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and uh, Simon the Canaanite and Judas the Iscariot, which also betrayed him, and they went into a house. As Christ had displayed his power down by the sea, he was getting really ready to really display his power again as he came up on the mountain, and he called these twelve men to him that he had called earlier to follow him. And if you know anything about this group of people, it was kind of a a wayward group, a a, a group filled with guys who were really misfits, guys who didn't really have a good place in society, guys who other people would reject. We know some of them were successful in the businesses that that their families had had uh, in regards to fishing. But beyond that, we don't know a ton about them. But it's interesting that in this moment, while the world would reject these guys, these are the ones that Jesus called to himself to do great things for his name that would last for all of eternity. And you know what, church? That gives us hope. Because you know what we are? I told somebody this the other day, and I don't know if they took offense to it or not. But Northside is really a group of misfits, aren't we? We don't belong. We're different than everybody else. Some, some have, you know, high executive paying jobs. Some have regular jobs. Some have big families, some have small families. We come from different parts of Vermont. We're a bunch of misfits, but guess what God can do with a bunch of misfits? In the book of Acts, he turned the world upside down with a group of men who were misfits. And friend, I believe with all my heart that as we are misfits today, and I hope that you don't take offense to that, but rather look at it as a term of endearment because that's truly what Christ's apostles were. I pray that our desire would be used to turn the world upside down as well. So Christ calls these men to himself and the Bible says that he ordains them or he prepares them to send them out to preach. And it's an awesome thought to think about the one who calls us is the same one who who sends us out, but he's also the same one who equips us to go. He doesn't just call us to himself and say, figure it out. And he doesn't just call us to himself and say, I'm going to send you out. You figure it out. But he calls us and he gets ready to send us. But while he's getting ready to send us, he also equips us to do the work that he calls us to do. I don't have to figure it out. And you don't have to figure it out because the one who has all power goes with me as I go. And what does he send him forth to do? To, to cast out devils and to heal people. No, back up a little bit. He sends them forth to preach. Why? Because the preaching of the gospel is the thing that changes lives. Friends, as we've seen in the ministry of Christ, and as we see in this text, there were often miracles that were performed, but understand this, the miracles were secondary, and the primary thing was the preaching of the gospel. When Christ came on the scene and he began his public ministry, what is it that he began to do? To go about preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And what was his gospel message? Repent and believe. Repent and believe. And certainly his his 
preaching ministry was accompanied with signs and wonders that caused people to flock to him. But understand, the primary thing that Christ did was to preach the gospel truth. And so the primary thing that the church does today is to preach the gospel. Why? Because it's the only thing that has the power of God in it to bring salvation to man. You see, somebody could come here today and they could perform all sorts of miracles. But if the gospel message wasn't preached, those people would walk away simply being astonished by the things that were done and not knowing who to give glory to the one who did them. And so preaching is primary. Preaching is primary because this is God's chosen method of getting his word to the world, both to the saved and to the lost. When Paul was commissioning Timothy, he didn't say, Timothy, go forth and do signs and wonders and miracles. But he said, preach the word. Why? Because it's the word of God that changes the hearts of men. And so as Christ was getting ready to send his disciples out to preach, to to minister, to be representatives of the kingdom, his primary commission that he gave them is that they would go forth and proclaim the truth of who Jesus was. But the rest of the text gives us questions, right? At least it did me. So Christ calls these men up to the mountain. And he ordains them, he prepares them, that he would send them out to preach. And then he gave them power to, have, uh, to heal sickness and to cast out devils. Now, what do we do with this? We ask ourselves, do we have these same powers? Can we do these same things? Can we live in the same way that the disciples and the apostles lived? Certainly we understand that James tells us that, that in some regards we have Some power over sickness, the prayer of a righteous man availeth much, and it heals those who are sick. We understand that James says that speaking to the church. But what about demons? Do these powers still exist? Do I think people still become overcome with demonic power? Absolutely, 100% I do. We don't see anywhere in Scripture where that has ceased. Satan and his enemies are still working in this world. He's the God of this world, lowercase g. He's seeking whom he can devour, and he will devour them by any means possible to set up a trap for them that they would fall away, to to infiltrate their lives, to keep them from seeing the truth. Certainly, we agree and we we believe that there are many people in our world who are demon-possessed. And so do I think people still become overcome with demonic power, I do. Do I think God can use someone to cast out a demon in his name? I do. I do. Why? Because God can do whatever God wants. I I can remember sitting in, in Bible college and having faithful men who were in the ministry for longer than, much longer than I had been alive at that point, and they would come in and they would share stories. Understand, I went to a very conservative, very conservative Bible college theologically. And these men would come in and they would share stories of how they or those that they had known had been involved with with demon exorcisms. But it wasn't them who did it. It was the power of Christ who did it. They weren't going around toting themselves saying, look at the ministry I have, I can heal anyone or I can fix anyone. It wasn't them 
but they did it humbly and they did it in the name of Jesus. So are people still overcome with demonic powers? Absolutely, I believe they are. Can God still use people to cast out demons from an individual? Absolutely, I believe that he can. Is it the norm? I don't think in our day it is. I don't. As I said, God can do whatever God wants by whatever means he chooses. And we have to remember that while preaching was primary, the gifts that they had were secondary. And what were they done for? To show that the message was real. Every gift, sign gift that was given in the New Testament time, things that were done in the Old Testament, they were always done to prove that the message was legitimate. But just because we live in a different day doesn't mean that God can't do the things that God wants to do. Some people get frustrated when, I, when they ask me questions. Do you think God can still do? And my response often is, friend, God can do whatever God wants. Why? Because he's God. And if God wants to overcome a demon in somebody else's life through the power of another individual, then certainly God can do that. If God wants to use the effectual and fervent prayers of righteous men and women to bring healing into the life of somebody who has disease, then certainly God can do it. But understand, it's not the people who are praying and it's not the people who are working that get the glory. It's God that gets the glory. So these signs and wonders are secondary and they were given to proclaim the truth that the message was indeed true. They were given to bring validity to the message. Unfortunately, many in our day and age have used things like this to promote personal gain in their lives. There's people who hold conferences on healing, and rarely in those conferences is the gospel actually preached. There's people who, who say they help, have all power, but it's interesting that they often only use that power for those who can promote the lifestyle that they want to live. If I had the power of healing, don't you think I'd probably be in a place where people are dying? If I had the power of, of bringing demons out on a regular basis, don't you think I'd want to live in a place where demonic activity is more rampant? And yet they're using it for themselves. They're using it to make a name for themselves. And so Christ brings these men up the mountain and he tells them, the things that they're going to do. And can you imagine being a disciple in this moment? Maybe when, when Jesus said, I'm going to prepare you to preach, they're thinking, man, that sounds nerve-wracking, right? To stand in front of a group of people and, and proclaim the truth that they're probably going to be upset at, that, that sounds, I don't know if I want to do that, Jesus. And then Jesus says, well, I'm also going to give you power to, to heal and you know, cast out demons. And then maybe they're like, yeah, I can imagine Peter, right? I'll do it. Sign me up, Jesus. Sign me up. Sign me up. But as Christ gave them this power, as he prepared them, don't you also think that there was a little more that happened there than what Mark reveals to us? That he revealed to them that in their preaching and in their healing, that the purpose was to point people to the person of Jesus Christ. And so we must, we must remember that. And as I read this passage, honestly, it reminded me of what Mark records for us in the end of his gospel in chapter 16, verses 15 through 18. The Bible says, and he said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Remember, preaching is primary. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. This was the message they would proclaim. 
And then Mark reveals that Jesus told them that these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils, and they shall speak with new tongues, and they shall take up serpents, and they shall drink. Uh, And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. And then as we fast forward into Acts, we, we see that Jesus says this in chapter 1 and verse 8. As he commissions them, he says, But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses both unto me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And as Jesus commissioned his disciples early on, and as he recommissioned them in the end of the Gospels, in the beginning of Acts, we see that his purpose was to send them forth to preach. And he sent them with great power so that people would believe that Jesus is indeed the savior of the world and friend as we go forth in great power today it is with the purpose of pointing to people to jesus who is still the savior of the world the power of christ can accomplish more than we ever could in our own the power of christ can do things that we never thought possible the power of christ can do things through us that we never even would have dreamed of and so we go in his power We go in the power that he displayed, that he then gave to us. And you know, as I was thinking about this passage this week, some thoughts came to my mind, and the thoughts were this. You see, I haven't ever healed anyone, and I hate snakes. And I try with all my might to avoid drinking poison. But do you know what? If God could use me to do those things, and it would cause people to turn to him, sign me up. But do you know what's also true? That if I got bit by a snake and died, and I drank poison and died, and yet my death caused people to turn to Christ, sign me up. I'm in. Why? Because I want the power of Christ to be displayed through my weakness. That in everything I do, whether it's the normal, ordinary, day-to-day life things, or the extraordinary, miraculous things that only God can do through me, sign me up because I want his name to be proclaimed. I think Paul lived with this heart in Romans 14.8. He says this, For whether we live... We live unto the Lord, and whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. And as we go forth in his power, if it ever becomes a thing for us to do for ourselves, I pray that God would take us home before we make too much of a mess of things. But until that day, may we go in his power making his name known through the things that he allows us to do. Are you thankful this morning for the resurrection power of Christ? You see, because of what we saw last Sunday in the end of Matthew's gospel, we can face the things that we face day to day because resurrection power is real. Because Jesus lives and because we have placed our faith and trust in him, we know that we too will live. And so whatever he brings our way, we know that he's either going to get us through it or it's going to take our lives and we're going to go to be with him. So what does Paul say? Whether we live or whether we die, it's all good. 
because it's all what God has ordained. But my question for us today as we close is simply this. As Christ has displayed his power for us, both in the Gospels and in our lives, as we have become children of God through his name, may we then take that power and allow the Spirit of God to use it to propel us to do greater things for his name. They not, may not be miraculous things. We may not be handling snakes and drinking poison But may we live in his power until he calls us home so that when people look at us, they say, that person is strange and I don't understand them, but they believe in their Savior and they're living in his power and that's what their lives are about completely. Do you know why the apostles were martyred? It wasn't because they hid their faith in the silence of a dark room. It's because they lived in the power of Jesus. Because they promoted the name of Jesus. Because they were calling people who lived in darkness to turn to Jesus. And friend, I pray that we would do the same. I asked this question earlier, but I want to ask it again. Friend, have you trusted in the power of Christ to give you life? You may be here today and you're thinking to yourself, I'm trying the church thing, I'm doing the church thing Things seem to be going better. They're, they're at least nice people. They're weird people at that church, but they're at least nice people. Uh, I'm trying it out. I think it's working. Friend, if you just continue to try it out and you just think it's working, then at the end of your life, if that's the state that you stay in, then you will be eternally disappointed because you will be separated from God forever. But if you turn to Jesus today by faith, friend, he will change you, not through your power, but through his power. And as he changes you through his power, he will then give you his power to go and live the life that you never knew you could live. So will you turn to Jesus today? Will you repent of your sins and trust him to be your savior? Friend, if you're here today and you are saved, can I ask you whose power you're living in? Anybody have a problem in their life in the last year? Whose power did you face that problem with? Did you sit and sulk because life was hard and there was no end in sight? I get it. Haven't we all been there? But at some point, if the Spirit of God dwells in us, shouldn't there be a turning point where our mourning is turned to joy and our sorrow is turned to laughter because we understand that though this life is hard, this life is not the end. And because Jesus was victorious and because Jesus is victorious, we live in victory. So believer, don't live in defeat today. Your life may be hard. I'm not going to discredit that. I know some of the challenges you are walking through, but have, t- take heart and have hope and joy. Why? Because this world is not the end. Because Jesus lives, church, we too shall live. So as the power of Christ was put on display, and as the power of Christ was dispersed to his apostles, his disciples, understand, church, we too can live in that power because Jesus is still alive. So I wonder today, what will we do with the power of Christ? How will we use the power of Christ for our own good or for the good of those around us? Will we use it to find prosperity and gain that we will hoard to ourselves 
or we'll use the power and authority that God has given us to invest in kingdom efforts where the fruit will last for eternity. Church, let's live in his power. When we live in his power, then let's determine to live for his glory. And when we live in his power and we live for his glory, we will find that nothing else on earth satisfies like that does.